Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. Late on a Tuesday, where let me check my notes here. Yeah, the Bulls are back, and to go through all of that and what is going on with the number two team as of this recording in the Eastern Conference this season. Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation is here. Ricky, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Chase. Thanks for being here, man. Is it uh, has it set in yet for you? Because you're uh, the the Paxson articles, the Gar Pax articles over the years, Ricky, were always hilarious. And your your pieces uh, for the folks who have not checked them out over the years of just the the stagnation and just the incompetence of the Chicago Bulls over the last. I don't know, decade plus, um, has been just well documented by yourself. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm going to miss those because the Bulls are good, and that means those pieces are uh, are not uh, not coming back anytime soon, right? Yeah, but you know, I got my start in writing when the Bulls were awesome back in like you know 2010, 11, mm-hmm. 12. So it's been sort of nice to. Uh, Watch better basketball, man. The last four years, the Bulls had the worst record in the NBA since they traded Jimmy Butler before this uh, before this season. And you know they never landed a top pick in the lottery, even despite all those down years. Uh, when they got Butler, you know it's not like they got a huge package package of picks back. They didn't even get a single pick back. They just traded up, I think, seven spots from sixteen to seven in that deal. Got Lowry Markinen. That was bust got Chris Dunn that was a bust but man Zach Levine has become a really good player and I think you know Zach's rise sort of fueled the reshaping of the roster the Bulls have undergone this year and it's just been such a fun season to watch man I I thought the Bulls would be very good this year I thought they'd be good I didn't think they would be tied for number one in the east after 25 games so it's been a thrill to watch and I think this team is uh is legitimately very good and I'm not going to put a ceiling on uh, what they can achieve this year. Okay, I like it. Not a ceiling. Uh, so the, you heard it here first, Ricky O'Donnell, Chicago Bulls, Eastern Conference champions. Uh, that's uh, that's what I'm getting there. Well, I mean, they're two and zero against the Nets. Oh, so that yeah, pretty good. Beat them, beat them a couple nights ago uh, in a game where DeRozan went off in the fourth quarter. Last night, Bulls another great win. They were down half the rotation. No DeRozan, no Caruso, no Javante Green, no Kobe White. Still beating the Nuggets, who obviously are very short-handed themselves. But uh, the Bulls have they've played really well, and I think you know to this point, their success certainly does not look like a fluke. I think that. Uh, the defensive concerns preseason have not shown up. The team is currently, I think, number five in defensive efficiency. They're also number six in offensive efficiency, despite Nikola Vucevic getting off to a slow start, despite Kobe White not really doing much of anything. Uh, so, yeah, I think the Bulls are legitimately good now. Can they compete against the top of the conference? I feel a lot more confident against the Nets than the Bucks because someone like Giannis could just be – uh, you know, the type of kryptonite the Bulls don't really have an answer for. But, yeah, I don't know. Call me crazy, but I'm feeling the feeling the good vibes for the Bulls right now. And uh, I think that what we're seeing is a, a legitimately very good team with not a lot of exploitable weaknesses in the roster right now. Um, How much of this has to do with Caruso? How much emphasis do you put on Caruso's addition? Uh, let's combine this, Caruso and Lonzo, because uh, we haven't talked about either yeah. of them to this point. Um, and then we'll get to DeRozan. He's a separate 
uh, entity entirely. But in terms of Caruso and Lonzo, for the folks that do not watch every Bulls game right now, um, what do they do night in, night out that really has changed the way this Bulls team has operated this year versus last year? Well, you know, if you would have asked me what is the most important part of NBA defense, I probably would have said rim protection. Mm. And rim protection was the one thing the Bulls didn't really have coming into this year. Nikola Vucevic uh, always been part of pretty solid defenses during his time in Orlando, but he's just slow and he can't jump, right? So uh, without having a rim protector, I think a lot of people expected the Bulls to potentially be a team that ranked no higher than 20 in the league defensive rankings. And right now they're number five. I think the vast majority of the credit goes to Crusoe and Ball. Both of those guys are just incredible defenders. Crusoe in particular, such a great communicator defensively. Like if you don't watch the, every game, you don't really notice these small moments where he's calling out the other team's plays before they even happen. Uh, he's incredible at getting around screens. I've never seen someone who's so difficult to screen, besides for maybe Tony Allen, which is a guy who I often compare Caruso to. Uh, so strong at the point of attack. Uh, so smart, such high basketball IQ. So Caruso has been incredible. And then Lonzo, what sticks out to me about him is just the huge variety of assignments Lonzo's had to take on this year. He's guarded Julius Randle in the post. He's guarded, uh, you know, bigs in the front court throughout this season. He's also been sticking with guards on the perimeter last night against Denver, four blocks. So both of them defensively are just so versatile. They can do so many different things. And with those two guys holding it down, uh, you know, this Bulls defense is proving to be a legitimate top five unit, which was the big question everyone had about them coming into the year. It's amazing when you look at this depth chart right now that like you you mentioned the Vucevic spot uh, for rim protection, but it's just there's no bigs on this roster like this is all all just Caruso's Lonzo's and just guards and wings like there's not a lot of there's a dearth of of bodies uh in the front court is that something that they are going to you think adjust or do they see that this is working playing the style and going thin on that front is is okay yeah so obviously losing patrick williams yeah for you know most of the regular season that's a big blow i think williams was going to start at the four for this team throughout the year that's what he did before his injury and he was someone who I think would have played a lot of small ball fives. And then in terms of, you know, true backup fives, you have Tony Bradley on the roster. But when Vooch had COVID, I think you really saw some of the limitations in Tony Bradley's skill set. Mostly he can't do anything with the ball in his hands. Vooch, very underrated passer and decision maker, especially when opposing defenses are trapping DeRozan and Levine coming off the screen. Uh, Bradley just couldn't beat opposing defenses in similar scenarios. So Bradley has mostly been out of the rotation since then. And I do think it is a concern for the roster for sure. I mean, especially if they match up with a team like the Bucks, even a team like the Heat that has so much physicality inside, it could be tough for them. Now, they've gotten some great minutes out of Derek Jones Jr., who, according to basketball reference, had never played a minute of center in his career coming into this season. He's been phenomenal as a, a part-time backup five, also spending some time at the four. He started at the four yesterday. Uh, so long, so athletic, plays with great energy, and he helps the Bulls be this team that can quickly turn defense into offense. And while the Bulls don't get out in transition a ton, when they do get out in transition, they score extremely efficiently. So uh, in terms of will the Bulls add another piece to this roster, I think 
you know, given the dramatic remaking that Arturis Karnaschovas has done with this team since he took over for John Paxton and Gar Foreman, uh, yeah, why not? I could definitely see the Bulls making a splashy move uh, or just like, you know, some sort of depth move to shore up the front court. Uh, I don't exactly know who that player is. It could be an acquisition as sort of modest as someone like Robin Lopez. Mm. I could also see them maybe going after a more uh, skilled four five combo, someone who could shoot a little bit, give you a little bit more uh, defensive versatility when you want to go small, having more size than Jones. So yeah, uh, yeah, they're going to have a lot of different options, but I do expect them to add to this roster given the way Carter Chauvis has managed to the team since he's come aboard. Maybe it's Aaron Gordon uh, with the Nuggets struggling with uh, what's happening there. I don't know, but it, how much of their ceiling was cut this season um, from Patrick Williams going down? Like what you saw early on this year, was he making a leap or was like, what, what did you see from Patrick Williams and what do you think he ultimately can be still in this league? Tough to say. I think Pat going back to his days at Florida state, his like status as a top four draft pick and his status as, you know, a blue chip recruit was always sort of based off flashes. Like he's never actually proven to be a good player. Now, last year, he was the second youngest player in the league besides Tripoku in Oklahoma City. So he's still younger than a lot of the rookies this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got hurt within the first two weeks of the season. So I think the team is probably better with Pat out of the starting lineup and off the floor to a mm-hmm. certain extent, just because, you know, I thought even at the beginning of the year, Caruso was always going to be closing games in place of Pat. You slide your up to the four, and that's your closing lineup. That lineup is like plus 20 or something uh, so far this season for the Bulls. They've been really good. But uh, it would be great to have Pat for depth. It would be great to have him just to continue to develop him and see what he can be long-term. But it's sort of tough to say what he can be long-term. Like, he will show you these flashes of, like, pull-up mid-range shooting and of, like, supplemental rim protection that pairs really well with Lucevic uh, as someone who's more, like, trying to clog the paint than block shots above the rim. So he has a skill set that I think really could play well in today's NBA. He's got to get more confident in the jump shot. It seems like when he misses two shots, he's very hesitant to shoot again. Uh, But I really feel like he has a wide variance in outcomes of what he could eventually be as an NBA player. It's partially because he's still so young Mm. uh, and has been on such like a fast track to this point. But yeah, he might be out the rest of the regular season. Potentially he could return to the playoffs. We'll see what happens with Patrick Williams. But uh, yeah, his injury was definitely a bummer just from like seeing what he could be from a long-term perspective. Is he someone who, and like I'm an Atlanta guy and watch a bunch of Hawks, and this is something that they're running into a little bit with uh, Cam and DeAndre, where it's just the the timelines don't match up. And now that they're too good, and the Bulls are kind of doing what the Hawks did last year, where they spent, they added their Lonzos and their Carusos and their DeRozan, similar to the Hawks uh, when they acquired uh, Capella and they acquired uh, Bogey and they acquired Gallinari and Chris Dunn, and they 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 tried like they were like we're getting out of uh the lottery we're going to be in the playoffs but that comes at a cost where the cam reddish minutes are complicated the deandre hunter minutes are complicated and now uh with uh hunter being out and cam being in and out of the lineup and those lineups not being the best and us seeing that the five-man unit that is most successful and it's not particularly close is the herder um bogey trey collins and capella lineup that like you can't 
it reinsert them back into the starting rotation. So there's just no way for your, like there's no possibility for them to maximize uh, their ceiling in Atlanta anymore because they're trying to win. They're now fighting for a playoff spot altogether because they're 12 and 10 at the moment. But like, this is what gets so complicated with these uh, with teams like the Bulls and the Hawks. And I, I equate the two a little bit. Do you think it's a fair comparison? And this is something that Bulls fans might have to prepare for is that like the, the Bulls, like you said, he's still just so young that you're not certain you can just wait on him and that you might have to use him because he is your best trade chip for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think absolutely. That's something the Bulls have to think about. Like when you have Luch and DeRozan on the other side of 30, uh, your window is right now. And especially like in a sort of a topsy turvy year, like this year where uh, the Nets don't look as good as we thought they would look the Bucks of the Brooke Lopez injury, there could potentially be an opening for, for the Bulls here to make a, a Suns-like run to the finals or a Hawks-like run to the conference finals, which no one would have anticipated coming into the season. So uh, Pat's injury hurts from that perspective, too. Like, who wants to trade for an injured guy who's going to be out for the whole year and then he's only going to have two more years left on his rookie contract? Uh, you could throw Kobe White in that mix, too, with Pat, I think. You know, the only guys still here – from the Garpax era are Zach and Kobe. And then Patrick Williams was Karnaschovas' first selection, and he was always sort of a long-term piece. So I definitely think that that's something the Bulls need to think long and hard about. A question for you, though, like when you do talk about developing young players, I almost think it's more advantageous for a young player to play a smaller role on a winning team in terms of their development than to go to a team that sucks and they're going to get a bunch of shots, but they're going to lose a ton. Like, what do you think is more advantageous for a young player? Because, you know, sometimes a smaller role on a winning team, you know, like learning the right habits, learning the right approach, and just like mastering uh, a smaller role as opposed to like, let's say, a large creation burden. I think that that could be ultimately more beneficial for a young player in the long-term view. I think it's a case by case basis. Like it sounds yeah. good in theory, but I do think there are players that need to go out there and fail over and over again. Like Steph Curry needs to turn the ball over seven times a game and needs to be awful leading everything early on. Like he needs to go through those lumps. He doesn't need to be behind Jarrett Jack and Monte Ellis for two years on an okay Warriors team and figure it out. Like that's not something he needed to do. Um, but like you said, I, it, there is something to it like the Kawhi is obviously the best example in his role uh when he was in san antonio Jimmy Butler with the bulls back yeah. in the day but the well. thing with those two guys specifically is that i don't think the teams saw stardom in either of them they were just sure. like here is something we're gonna see what happens like it's different when it's a high lottery pick where it's like you're projected to be a star and their expectations right away and that we need you on the court like you need to take your lumps you need to flash you need to be good right away or things get really messy really quickly similar to what's happening in new orleans but like john morant immediately leading the charge in memphis and he's been out for a little bit and memphis is good but like that is a that is a thing that you kind of have to hand the keys over to a lot of these guys and i do think a lot of the guys who you just throw out into the deep end the the best will always rise to the top and the ones that uh we're not going to make it we're not going to make it but there are a handful that if you put them in the wrong incubator they don't become who we see today. Like, I don't think Kawhi is the kind of player he is if he doesn't start off in San Antonio. Like, if Paul George doesn't wind up in Indiana the way he did, I don't think he turns into the type of player that he is. And I don't know. It's just a, for me, it's a case by case basis. But 
Um, I think Trey was interesting, um, but Patrick Williams might be a good example of the the Kawhi thing. And we're not saying he's going to be Kawhi, but like being on a good team, maybe him being the lone young guy in a roster full of competent, good veterans on a winning team, maybe that's uh, what propels him. But if you're the Hawks, like you can't, you can't do that. Like you, there's just too much pressure. Like a coach just got fired for mismanaging uh, young guys and rotations and closing games and stuff like that. That like just, it's unfortunate, but I, I don't think it's realistic uh, more often than not. Yeah, obviously I, I do agree. It's a case by case basis, but uh, you know, just something to think about is, uh, is Bulls and Hawks continue to go on. And you know, it is unfortunate for Pat's injury for his perspective, certainly. And then for the team, like him and Kobe would be their two best trade chips. Uh, Kobe missed six months with a shoulder injury. He's just getting back to play ball. And then he tests positive for COVID. Pat's going to be out for most of the regular season. So uh, the Bulls do have a first round pick from the Blazers. that's currently lottery protected. Uh, If the Blazers can sneak into the playoffs, you know, potentially that could be a decent pick for the Bulls in the 15 to 20 range. I think they could absolutely trade that, given that they've traded all their future picks to this point anyway. Uh, yeah, we'll see if uh, if there is another piece coming to this roster before playoff time. Is there anything different that stands out to you from Zach Levine this year versus last year? Because last year was, like we said, his coming out party, and now it's just become kind of expected. But is there anything this year that you've noticed that he's even he's gotten even better at this year? I wouldn't say there's anything I've noticed that he's gotten better at mostly because he was so ridiculous last year. Like he had 64% true shooting last year. And obviously offense around the league was completely juiced last season, maybe because of the fans, because of, you know, the last year before the rule change in terms of how the game officiated. But the big difference for Zach this year is that he finally has someone else to initiate the offense playing alongside him. Like for as good as Zach is, Zach is very much like a pure two, like the type of shooting guard we grew up watching, not this heliocentric do-everything type of guard, similar to prime James Harden or Luka Doncic. Uh, while Zach's defense always got a lot of criticism, I always thought his biggest shortcoming was his decision-making, actually, because if he was a really good decision-maker, uh, he would basically be an unstoppable offensive player. His talent is that uh, that high. Like, he can – his extreme athleticism in terms of getting to the basket, deep shooting range, can pull up from anywhere. But he's always been the guy with the ball in his hands, right? So the difference for him this year is playing next to DeRozan. DeRozan has really become the option, the A option on this team. Zach is great with DeRozan because his shooting ability gives him the opportunity to play off the ball, right? And I think that it's just another reason why this roster complements each other so well. You could have a guy like Zach who, you know, very similar to what Devin Booker went through early in his career, couldn't make the playoffs. Everyone said he was an empty calorie scorer. Finally got to play next to another great playmaker and decision maker in Chris Paul and Devin Booker's stock blew up. I think Levine is on a very similar path right now. We'll see uh, exactly how that story ends this year, but, uh, you know, he, he can, his scoring bag is just so deep and the area of his game where he always had trouble was just in crunch time, last few minutes, can you count on him to make the right read in the pick and roll in isolation when the double teams come consistently down the floor? And the answer was just no to through the first seven years of his career. Right. Not, I'm not blaming uh, the Bulls' losses on Levine over the last four seasons. Certainly, Levine was, you know, 
losing crunch time struggles were a small problem compared to the overall talent level on the roster. But having someone like DeRozan has really put Levine in a better position to succeed, and I think it's helped him, uh, you know, have one of the better years of his career this season. I like it. I like it. Um, we're so when you look at uh, the rotations, is there one five man group that you think is the best? And also, is there a certain kind of play call that you've you've circled that you're like, oh, this is this is money? I don't know how uh, opposing defenses or just like uh, defensive uh, possessions where you're like, oh, this is the kind of stuff that I don't know how uh, opposing teams deal with this. In terms of the lineup, I think, you know, the closing lineup that I thought they were going to have at the beginning of the year has been their best lineup. Caruso, Lonzo, Zach, DeRozan, Mooch. That lineup's plus 20 right now mm-hmm. uh, per 100 possessions and 190 possessions so far this year. So they haven't played a ton. Bulls have had guys in and out of the lineup all year, but uh, they've been awesome when they're together. And then in terms of, uh, like, sets that catch my eye, you know, I would say the big thing is, like, put the ball in DeRozan's hands and let him cook. Like, the story of the year has been DeRozan being an absolute killer in the mid-range in crunch time. And he plays, like, you know, Wizards MJ or, like, <laughs> period Kobe, where he just gets to his spots and he's taking these shots that the defense wants to concede, being these, like, contested long twos. But he's so good at making them. He's so good at getting to the spots where he's comfortable and he can also get to the foul line pretty much at will as well, uh, even despite the way the rule changes. So uh, it's just DeRozan in crunch time with the ball in his hands, surrounded by shooting, especially when you have that closing lineup. Those other four guys are threats to, you know, make a catch and shoot three. So that's really been the Bulls bread and butter this year. I like it. I like it. Ricky, how did the good folks keep up with your work and check out uh, anything uh, coming out this week at Bulls or anything else at uh, SB Nation? Yeah, you can follow all my work at SBNation.com, writing about a little of everything over there these days. And you can follow me on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. This was great. Thank you for making the time this evening, sir. You stay safe out there, and uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.